Hello and welcome to the New Franklin Assembly podcast. We're so glad that you chose to join us today. Our church is located at 2355 New Franklin Road, Chambersburg, Pennsylvania, 17202. Today, Pastor James will be continuing the follow series. The title of today's message is Learning to Influence. We are going through the Chosen on Sunday nights, this is the life of Christ, but we kind of started at the same time that we started our discipleship series called Follow. Um, a few weeks back, we started our, like I said, this discipleship series called Follow. This Follow is a, is a series of Sunday morning messages and Wednesday night Bible studies that are geared to help the follower of Christ reach the next level in their journey with Christ. It's, uh, it's meant to wherever you are in your walk with the Lord, wherever you are in your faith, the Follow Discipleship series is designed to help you grow stronger, to help you reach that next level. And we are literally knee deep. We are on the back end of this eight week series called Follow. Um, the Follow Discipleship series takes us through the seven essential attributes of a follower of Jesus Christ. Seven essential attributes of, the, of a follower of Christ. Attribute number one we learned was to learn to be with Jesus. Our highest calling in life is to be with him. We, we kind of just, I had no idea that how, you know, of course it connects, every, his word connects, but, but just as like we were talking about today, without his presence, it's just meaningless. Our highest calling in life is to be with him, is to come into his presence. And we learned that in week number one. Attribute number one was learn to be with Jesus. And then attribute number two was learn to listen. We heard, and we, the words of Jesus in Matthew says, uh, those who hear my words and put them into practice is like a man who builds his house on a rock. In other words, when we hear the words of the Lord and we put them into practice in our life, we establish a strong foundation in our life that can withstand the storms of life, that can withstand the, the hardships and the struggles. But our foundation must be built upon the rock. Those who hear the words of the Lord and put them into practice will have a firm foundation in their life. And then last week we talked about attribute number three, learn to heal. Uh, we took basically a bird's eye view uh, and we look because that's a topic we can spend weeks and weeks and weeks on. But we kind of took an overview uh, and and talked a, 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 a lot about healing uh, last week. And so, if you want any of those messages, uh, you can uh, uh, actually visit our website. They are recorded. You can go to our Facebook page, and they're archived there. Otherwise, talk to Lester in the sound booth. He can get you a recording of that. Uh, and now today we're on attribute number four. Attribute number four is learn. To influence. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Influence. Learn to influence. Let me give you some quotes that I found this week on the word influence. I think I have them up there, yeah. And so Jackie Robinson, the first African American to play Major League Baseball. How many are watching the World Series? I'm, I'm the only one. <laughs> it's okay. I love baseball. I'll, I watch it. And so <clears throat> uh, he says this life isn't significant except for its impact on other lives. We can, we, can, we can just stay there, and if we say nothing else, that quote can affect us and, and really change our lives. A life isn't significant except for its impact on other lives. How are we impacting other lives? Clint Eastwood 
said this, it takes tremendous discipline to control the influence or the power you have over other people's lives. Another good quote, and then by Condoleezza Rice, which is a former Secretary of State, she says, power is nothing unless you can turn it into influence. Some good quotes there, a couple of quotes from some pastors. Bill Johnson is the author and pastor of Bethel Church in California. He says, faith doesn't deny a problem's existence. It denies a problem a place of influence. Wow, let's, let's just pause on that one just a minute. Faith doesn't deny a problem's existence. It denies a problem a place of influence in our lives. Very good. And then Andy Stanley, another author and pastor of North Point Ministries, says you cannot or you can't influence people you refuse to associate with. Wow. Each one of these quotes we could apply to what we're talking about here today. So what is influence? What is influence? A couple of definitions I found. A power affecting a person, thing, or course of events, especially one that operates without any direction or apparent effort. And this next one I kind of like. It says, it is the invisible force that drives people to care about what you are saying. Do people care about what you're saying? Influence is that invisible force that drives people to care about what you're saying. So, some facts about influence before I get into my message. Influence is a byproduct of trust. Think about it. Influence is a byproduct of trust. Think about someone you really trust. Think about someone you trust with your ideas and your thoughts and your emotions. Does that person have any influence in your life? I bet he does. I bet she does. You see, if you share your ideas, your thoughts, your emotions, if you trust that person, that person has influence in your life. When it comes to the big decisions in my life, when it comes to the decisions that I make that affect other people, I tend personally to overthink things. <laughs> um, you know, thinking things out is a good thing, but sometimes I tend to overthink. I, I will think through things. I will research the topic. I will weigh all the pros and all the cons, and I'll ask other people's opinions, and, and I'll wrestle with what I need to do and what decisions I have to make. And then when I'm just about settled in my mind what I'm going to do, I ask my wife, and she says something completely different. <sighs> but I find myself going with her decision because I trust her. And more times than not, she's right. And so I wasted all that time wrestling when I should have just asked her, right? <laughs> How many men have that experience? Yeah? Well, trust. Influence is a byproduct of trust. Secondly, influence is not easily earned. How many know that? Influence is not easily earned. Honest relationships and genuine passion are the only way to cultivate long-lasting influence. And so followers of Jesus need to slow down when it comes to their relationships with other people. We need to take the time to talk with them, to listen to them, to care about them. We need to connect with them on a very personal and honest level. And that takes time. Next, influence is fragile and can be lost quickly. How many have that experience? Unfortunately, I have that experience. You see, I think we all do. Influence is fragile and can be lost quickly. 
It may, de- it, may, it may develop in your life very slowly over the course of years and years and years, but what you've built up in your life, that influence that, have, that you have worked so hard for your entire life can be lost in a moment if you're not careful. We need to stay humble and value people. Influence can be dangerous. How many know that? I think history proves that, right? There are many people that use <clears throat> their influence selfishly or for evil. Hitler used his influence to murder millions and millions of people. Charles Manson influenced his family of friends to kill innocent people. And so influence can be dangerous. Influence is a means for accomplishing a mission. Think about this. Martin Luther King Jr. was able to influence millions of people around our Uh, around a cause and served as a major catalyst for social reform in the United States. It was a good influence. Billy Graham used his spiritual influence to lead more than two and a half million people to Christ. Another good example of influence. And so today, the big idea, every week we give you, I give you what I call the big idea. Today's big idea is this. Followers of Jesus attract people to Jesus. Followers of Jesus attract people to him. And it comes from our main text today. We're going to, like I said, we started a few weeks back and we are in the Gospel of Matthew. We're taking this whole series from, from Matthew's Gospel. And our main text today comes from Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20. Jesus says this Therefore, Go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. How many feel like we're approaching the end of the age? You look around what's going on around us, and we feel we were talking about it this morning. I I don't know that I've ever felt closer to the rapture of Jesus than than I am today. I'm sure other generations felt that, the World War II generation perhaps, and other, other generations, but in my life, my generation, I don't know that I've ever felt closer to the end of the age than, than, than right now. And so we have that promise, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. But this is called, we know this verse as the what? The Great Commission. This was Jesus commissioning his disciples to go and make disciples. And so it tells us several things about the influence that we should have as followers of Christ in this world. Point number one, followers of Jesus are called to attract people to him. First and foremost, basically self-explanatory, right? Followers of Jesus are called to attract people to him. Or in other words, followers fish. That's what we do. Followers fish. Remember in, a few weeks ago, uh, we had a, a canoe up here with all that fishing equipment. We had a, we were just all a fishing poles and fishing rods and, and, and all kinds of tackle boxes. And we, we took it down because, you know, Leah didn't want her wedding, the canoe in her wedding pictures, you know, so we, 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 we accommodated. No, no we, we, it was a, several reasons why. But we had that up here and we were talking about how Jesus calls us to be fishers of men, right? And the big idea from that wedding, uh, (laughs) the big idea from that week was following Jesus changes everything. Following Jesus changes us from who we are 
to who we are called to be. Who are we called to be? Jesus says, come follow me and I will make you fishers of men. The disciples Jesus called in Matthew chapter 4, they were fishermen. And now he was calling them to be a different kind of fishermen, fishers of men. Again, Matthew 28, our text for today is the Great Commission. It was now the disciples commissioning and ours to begin fishing. He called them to be fishers of men. He trained them for three years. And now he was saying, okay, now it's time for you to be who I've called you to be. I'm commissioning you to begin fishing for men. That was Matthew chapter 4, when Jesus called them to be fishers of men. And then in Matthew chapter 5, he begins his most famous sermon, the Sermon on the Mount, which encompasses three chapters, Matthew chapter, Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. And almost immediately in this sermon, Jesus talks about how we are to influence the world. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13 through 16 says this, You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled by men. You are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before men that they may see your good deeds and praise your Father in heaven. So this scripture, right off the bat in Jesus' sermon, he's talking about influence and how we need to be influential in this world. We are the salt of the earth. We are the light of the world. And when someone gets a taste of something salty, what happens? They become thirsty. They want more. Light does what? Light shows you where you are, whether it's good or bad. Light shows you where you are and where you ought to be or where you ought to go. Light draws people to a good place. Light draws people to a safe place. So being salt and light should encompass all that we are. All of our emotions, all of our passions, all of our desires, being salt and light should be who we are. Being salt and light should define who we are. It should be the underlying factor behind our personality. It should be the underlying factor behind the decisions we make in life. It should be the underlying factor behind the desires we have in life. Now, I know hunting season has begun. Is that correct? Hunting season has gone, and it goes right up until the new year, a little past? One. Two weeks in December, okay. Hunting season has begun. I wouldn't know because I'm not a hunter. I'm not, I'm not, I'm not, I'm just never did. I, I, the guns that I was used to, I was used to running. I, I grew up in New York. You know, you, you stayed away from guns in New York. And so, so I was never a hunter. <laughs> so I'm learning the culture a little bit around here and it's and it's a great culture I'm really enjoying watching you guys hunt and, and and learning about hunting from you guys but hunting season has begun and and those who are hunters I've learned are passionate about hunting right they enjoy it it encompasses their emotions and their passions it, 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 it's the underlying factor in the decisions they make during hunting season. 
you know, what, what they do and what they don't do and, and, and how they go about their day because they want to save time to hunt or they want to make sure their Saturday is free for hunting. And, and that's a good thing. It's, it's not a bad thing. It's, it's actually a great thing. It's a season. I feel that way about certain other things. I was mentioning I, I, was, I enjoy the, the baseball. I'm, I'm enjoying the World Series. Let me tell you, I'm not enjoying staying up late to watch it because pregame starts at 7 o'clock. The first pitch is maybe 8.30, which puts me up past midnight on a work day, on a Sunday even. And, and so I, I watch the World Series because I enjoy baseball. Now, if you're a Houston Astros fan, you're not enjoying the time because they're losing three games to one. Atlanta Braves are doing pretty good. And I'm watching, my friend lives in Atlanta, so I'm rooting for Atlanta. Now, you may wonder why I would stay up past midnight when I have a busy day the next day. The same way I wonder why you would go out in the wee hours in the morning in the cold, wet, miserable weather, sitting in a tree stand doing nothing (laughs) until that deer comes around, you see. But your passions influence what you do My passions influence what I do. We're all influenced by something. We all have things in our life that influence what we do. Things like sports and hunting and fishing. And and again, that's not a bad thing. But we need to ask ourselves, what is the most influential force in our lives? Because that will be the underlying decision on what we do, what we don't do. You see, because if Jesus is the most influential person in our life and his words are the most influential force in our lives, then being fishers of men will encompass all of who we are. It will encompass all of our emotions. It will encompass all of our passions. Then being salt and being light should be the underlying factor in what we do and and what we don't do and and in the decisions that we make in life. I can remember, you know, years ago when I was by vocational pastor, I was pastoring a church and and I was also working full-time outside the church, but in Lancaster they had a very competitive church softball league and I love, again, like I said, I, I grew up playing baseball and softball, church Again, and this was a this was a fast pitch. It wasn't the arch. It was it was straight. So you wore the helmets and you were stealing and bunting. Very competitive. And I was in my 40s then, and and I was playing with 20 year olds from Penn State who came home for college and they wanted to stay active. So I I had to be, you know, I had to try to stay fit. I had to try to stay competitive because these guys were they were on they were good, uh, and so I loved playing. But to play, I had to make sure I was staying fit. I had to make sure I put in the time to stay fit because I would get hurt. <laughs> I got hurt plenty of times because I was older than those guys. But it got to the point where I wasn't able to put all the time in that I could because my, what, my passions and my desires were elsewhere. So I, I had to work. I had to earn a living. And now I was pastoring and playing softball was affecting that. So the underlying factor, the influence, the major influence of my life, the call of God upon my life, my desire to spend time with family, it overruled my desire to play softball, and I had to give that up. Now, I, I asked them to leave my name on the roster so that I could maybe fill in if, if they were a little short, and that, that's what happened. So I was able to just play a game here, a game there. Uh, I wasn't as good because I was, wasn't putting the, the time in, 
But you see, we're all influenced by something. But what is the most influential thing in our lives? Because that is what we are going to then influence others with or by. If Jesus influences us, then we should want to influence others. For hunters during hunting season, life is all about the hunt. For fishermen during fishing season, life is all about fish. For sports fans, baseball fans, during the World Series, life is all about those seven games. See, for followers of Jesus, until the Lord returns, the end of the age, life should, all be, life should be all about making disciples, about making other followers. Jesus says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. So followers fish. Point number two. Again, point number one, followers of Jesus are called to attract people to him, or in other words, followers, fish. Point number two, we need, to, uh, we need the empowerment of the Holy Spirit to be effective influences for Christ. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective influencers in this world. Or in other words, followers, they don't fish alone. They don't fish alone. Let's go back to our main text, Matthew chapter 28. Again, it says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Think about what Jesus was asking those disciples to do. Jesus was asking them to do an impossible task. It would be impossible for any group of men to do that, let alone that group of men, based on their track record up until that point for sure. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. They would have known that they weren't good enough to do that. They would have known that no group of men could have done that. But then Jesus says, but lo, I am with you always. Think about it. Back then there was, again, obviously no trains, planes, or automobiles. There were no mass mailing systems. There was no televisions or telephones. There was no internet. Think about this. There was no way for anything they said or did to go viral, which is actually probably a good thing right about now. Right? Today, if a famous person sneezes and it's caught on camera, it goes viral. And the whole world knows about it within minutes. Today, we need the gospel of Jesus Christ, to go viral. We need the, but it's, it's not about the words, right? It's about the influence we have. So how do we influence all nations for Christ? All we have is the promise that Jesus will always be with us. All we have is the promise of the Holy Spirit's power. But you know what? That's enough. That's all we need. Acts chapter 1, verse 8, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses. It says in Jerusalem, all Judea and Samaria, and to the ends of the world. How do, how do we apply that verse to us today? What, our Jerusalem is what? Jerusalem is basically our world. It says, I must tell my world, the people closest to me. Judea and Samaria means I must reach beyond my world, maybe my workplace, maybe my neighbors, people who are near me, but not necessarily the same as me. 
and to the ends of the earth. I must care for the whole world. And if I can't go myself, I must support those who do. See, we'll never be, we will never be as, influence, as influential as God wants us to be without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We will never be the fishers of men that God calls us to be without the power of the Holy Spirit upon our lives. Jesus himself, he didn't do one thing publicly in his public ministry before the Holy Spirit came upon him. Not one thing. He was 30 years old when he was baptized in the water by John the Baptist. And when he came out of the water, it says people saw the Holy Spirit coming, descending upon him, lightning, lighting upon him like a dove. You see, only then do we see Jesus preaching messages. Only then do we see Jesus performing miracles and, 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 and the sick being healed and the, the lame walking and the dead uh, rising again. Not one thing did he do before the baptism of the Holy Spirit come upon him. Now remember, Jesus was born of the Spirit right from birth. See, Jesus says we must be born again, but there was no need for him to be born again. If you read the Christmas story, it says the Holy Spirit came upon Mary, and what was conceived in her was of the Holy Spirit. So Jesus was born of the Spirit right from birth. The Spirit was in him, living in him right from birth. But then he was on a separate occasion, baptized in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon him. That's when he began to do the miracles. That's the pattern he set for his disciples. We see it in the scriptures when it comes to his disciples. He called his disciples. Three years, Jesus dies. He was crucified. He is resurrected from the dead. And before he ascends into heaven, Jesus looks at them. You remember this? I forget where it's, it's one of the Gospels. Uh, I think it's recorded in two of the four Gospels. Uh, and Jesus gets them together, and he blows on them. He goes, receive the Holy Spirit. Receive the Holy Spirit. But then, a few days later, he looks at them and says, listen, I need you to go into Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you. Acts chapter 1, on, uh, verse 4 says, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with you, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. So Jesus blows on the disciples, says, Receive the Holy Spirit. But then in the very next breath, or you know, before he ascends into heaven, on another occasion he goes, Listen, wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So what was he saying? Did he blow on them and say, I'm sorry, my bad breath, it, maybe it didn't take, so why don't you go in Jerusalem and wait for the Holy Spirit to come upon you? No. He was talking about the difference between the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit upon us. The Holy Spirit comes in us at salvation. It's the, it's the power of God that brings salvation, that gives us a new life. It reveals the scriptures to us. It leads us and guides us. But the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is a separate occasion, sometimes it, it, God does it and it, and it happens all at once where you're, you're saved and baptized in the Holy Spirit with the initial physical evidence, you're beginning to speak in tongues, and there's a power to be witnesses. There's a power to be influential. And so the Holy Spirit in us is for us. The Holy Spirit upon us is for others around us. You understand what I'm saying? And so this is what we're talking about. He told them 
to go wait in Jerusalem until the Holy Spirit came upon them so that they could accomplish the mission that he was calling them to be. Fishers of men. Go and make disciples of all nations. Go influence the world. Go be salt. Go be light. But you're not going to be able to do that until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. So don't do a thing, he says. Go wait in Jerusalem until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And so we were never meant to fish alone. Think about this. In the book of Acts, we read about Stephen, right? Now, Stephen was a lay minister in the church. We are all ministers here, right? I know I have that reverend before my name because I, I, you know, I, I went to school, I have the title, but we are all ministers. Stephen was a lay minister. He wasn't a pastor, he wasn't an apostle, he was And in the church, we read this in the book of Acts, the widows were being overlooked because the disciples, the apostles at this point, they were studying the word, they were ministering, they were doing other things, and the widows were being overlooked. And so they were saying, we need to raise up some people within the church that will minister to the widows so they're not being neglected. But they weren't allowed to volunteer for that ministry unless they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. That's how serious they took this. Jesus himself said, don't do a thing until the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon you. And yet we find ourselves trying to be influential for Christ in our own strength. Even though we might be baptized in the Holy Spirit, we're relying on our own strength, our own gifts, our own talents, our own ability to speak or not speak, whatever it is, we find ourselves relying on something other than the Holy Spirit to be influential in our world. And we wonder why we see all this chaos happening around our country. Because perhaps the church has relied too much on their own ability to be influential rather than the power of the Holy Spirit upon their lives to be influential. Again, we were never meant to fish alone. We will not be effective as fishers of men without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. We need to help. We need the power of the Spirit upon our lives. There's no better example of this than Peter himself. Remember, Peter was the one who denied Christ. When things got tough, Peter, the one who had always been by Jesus' side, the one who had always stood up for Christ and, and wanted to defend, the one who cut off the soldier's ear, when things got really tough, he denied Christ three times, even once to a little slave girl, little servant girl, who says, aren't you one of his followers? And he swore up and down saying, I, didn't, I don't even know him. But then after, a couple of weeks later, that's it, that's all it was, after the Holy Spirit had come upon him, he was the one who stood up before thousands and preached a message about what was happening there. And 3,000 souls were saved that day and the church was, was birthed. We need to depend on the power of the Holy Spirit. We were never meant to fish alone. Point number three. Again, point number one, followers of Jesus are called to attract people to him. Or in other words, followers fish. Point number two, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective influencers. Or in other words, followers don't fish alone. And point number three, sharing Christ is personal. Sharing Christ is personal. 
there's a lot of different fish, in other words. There's a lot of different fish. Remember when we had all this equipment up here, we were talking about the different kinds of fish and, and the different characteristics of fish. Well, fishermen use different bait to catch different fish. Fishermen use different rods for different fish. Fishermen use different fishing line for different fish. You wouldn't go out deep sea fishing uh, for tuna or for, 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 for any kind of deep sea fish with the same lines and the same bait and the same rods. You would catch uh, trout here on the creek locally. You just wouldn't do it. Well, when Julie and I were youth pastors right out of Bible college, she became pregnant and she, she, we gave, she gave birth to our first daughter, Jessica. And as you can imagine, the church we were a part of, they were excited for us. They were, you know, it was just a, a joyous occasion. And, and so many of the ladies got together and, and they were providing uh, meals that week for Julie and I, which was something I was really looking forward to. Because, you know, I like baseball, I like the World Series, I like the Super Bowl, but put food in front of me and I will then put the baseball game aside and I'll eat the food. You see, it influences my decisions. <laughs> So I was enjoying this week of food. Well, halfway through the week, one of the ladies came in and there was a covered dish and she was talking, she was you know, seeing Jessica and that kind of thing. And she says, listen, I know you guys are Italian and you love Italian food, so I made Italian for you. I made you lasagna. And so my eyes lit up. I says, oh, that's awesome. I love lasagna. Well, little did I know, this lady is not an Italian cook. Nowhere close to it. She had never cooked Italian. She had never in her life made lasagna. And so she was making it because she thought we liked it. Of course we do, but I don't know that you can call that lasagna. She was trying to be someone that she wasn't for our sake. I'd much rather her have made a dish that she was good at. She was German. I would have loved Authentic German food. And I think sometimes in our attempt to reach the lost, we attempt to be someone we're not. And the result is the same. It's, it's failure. Let me explain. In your bulletins today, this morning, you should have received an evangelism styles questionnaire. It looks like this, both sides, front and back. And when we study the scriptures, when we study the scriptures, when we study the first century church specifically and how they shared their faith, we discover that there are different styles for sharing your faith that are modeled for us by different individuals throughout the New Testament. Six different styles to be exact. If you go towards the, the back, that second page towards the bottom after that graph, I'll explain everything else in a, in a second, but skip to that bottom part evangelism style examples and summaries, you would see that there are six different styles. One is confrontational style evangelism. One is intellectual. One is testimonial. One is interpret, uh, in, interpersonal. Another one is invitational, and one is serving. Your style of sharing your faith may look different than someone else's style. And so the questionnaire helps you discover what style you are best suited for. So, in other words, if you look down here, you see the confrontational style. It's modeled for us in Acts chapter 2 by Peter. 
very confrontational. This was his first, he was very direct, not beating around the bush. Billy Graham was this kind of evangelist. Chuck Culkin, I, I don't know who that is, to be honest. I, know, I didn't take the time to Google him, but I got this source from, from another pastor. And so, the characteristics of someone who is confrontational style in sharing is they're confident, they're assertive, and they're direct. Definitely we can see Billy Graham in that, right? But some of the cautions they have listed here are be sure to use tact when confronting people with truth to keep them from becoming unnecessarily offended. Confrontational people can offend quickly if they're not cautious. But that doesn't mean we need to dismiss the confrontational style. Some people are better, and God made them to be direct, which is good. Next style is intellectual. It's modeled by us in, in uh, Acts chapter 17 by the Apostle Paul. Uh, Josh McDowell is intellectual. James Kennedy. The Alpha Course. How many are familiar with the Alpha Course? It came out uh, a while back. It's a discipleship uh, study for, for the new converts or for seekers that really are direct. You know, I mean, it's it's, 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 it's direct, but it's also it lends its well for those who really want to study the Word, really want to get into and know why they should believe the Gospel. And so it's intellectual. So some of the characteristics, those who are inquisitive, those who are analytical, those who are logical. Some of the cautions, do not substitute giving answers for giving the Gospel message. Be careful of becoming argumentative. We're so easy to become all of a sudden in, in, in this debate. Now you're debating uh, uh, theological uh, thoughts. And it's not about that. It's about giving the gospel message. That doesn't mean we dismiss being intellectual because some, some people are just that way. They share better that way. That's who they are. That's how God made them. That's good. Testimonial style. Outlined for us in John chapter 9, verse 25, the blind man who Jesus healed, they were trying to question him, and they were, like, they were just hounding him. Why, who is this guy? What did he do? He said, listen, all I know is this. I was once blind, and now I see. He was telling his story. Corey Ten Boom. How do we know who Corey Ten Boom is? Yeah. Johnny Erickson Tata. Very testimonial. Characteristics. They're a clear communicator. They're a storyteller. They're a good listener. But some of the cautions, beware of talking about yourself, but not relating your experiences to, other, to the other person's life. You first need to listen to them to be able to connect your story to their situation. You see? Interpersonal style, which is friendship. Luke chapter 5, verse 29, we see Matthew, uh, this being out, uh, exampled for us through Matthew, Becky Pippert, Joe Aldrich, again, I didn't Google those names. I don't know who they are. Um, but it's, it's more friendship evangelism. Characteristics, warm personality, conversational, friendship-oriented. Some of the cautions, avoid valuing friendship over truth-telling. How many have a hard time speaking directly to your friends? You know, you're afraid they're going to be offended, Right? Presenting the gospel often means challenging a person's whole direction in life, and that can mean 
causing friction in your relationships. And finally, I'm sorry, uh, two, two more. Invitational style. John uh, chapter 1, verses 42 and 46, Andrew and Philip. Uh, we see that. Uh, the woman at the well in John chapter 4. And then Ruth Graham. Very invitational characteristics. They're very hospitable. They're very relational. They're very persuasive. Some of the cautions, be careful not to always let others do your talking for you. You too need to always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. This type of person, they find it easier to invite someone to church, but very difficult to share Jesus with them on the spot. And so, again, there's good things about that, but then there's some cautions also. And finally, serving style. Uh, Acts chapter 9, Dorcas and Mother Mother Teresa. Characteristics, they are always others-centered humble and patient, some of the cautions. Just as words are no substitute for actions, actions are no substitute for words. In Romans 10, 14, it is made clear that we verbally tell people about Christ. And so, I filled out this questionnaire. If you, if you go to the, now the beginning, you can answer these questions and, and put the numbers in from zero to three, zero being not at all, Uh, three being very much. The first one, I'll give you an example. In conversations, I like to approach topics directly without much small talk or or beating around the bush. Kind of get right to it. You see, and where do you land on that? Not at all, that's not me at all, or that's very much me, you know, or somewhere in the middle. And so you do this, and there's uh, how many questions here? There's uh, 36 questions, and then you kind of fill in the, the graph there, and I found myself, and there was no big surprise here because I'm kind of, a, you know, taking these things before and I kind of am aware of who I am. Uh, I, my number one is testimonial. I like to tell stories. I like to tell stories and testimonies of, of what God did in my life in an attempt to, to minister to them. They say, hey, I know what you're doing. Let's see, I, I, I know what you're going through. One time I was like this, or I, I did this, or, you know, my wife, you know, we, we went through this. Or, it's a testimony, and it, it's a way that I then present the gospel. I find it very easy for me. The second one is very close. Second was a tie, actually. It was interpersonal, very friendship-oriented, and, and serving. I serve people. I'll go out of my way to, to help someone, and it opens doors for evangelism. And so why, does, why is this important for me to understand? Why is this important for us to understand this about ourselves? Well, because sometimes I'm talking to an intellectual, let's say, and intellectual was my weak point. Listen, I can keep up with the best. I know the theology. I can, I can debate sometimes. I, can, I know why I believe what I believe. But I am not an intellectual type person. But sometimes I'm talking to an intellectual and what happens is I try to be intellectual in my attempt to convince them. It doesn't really work because I can't match. But if I go back to my testimony, listen, I don't know, all I can tell you is this. I was blind and now I see. All I know is when I, when I, when I come to the Lord, He touches me. He makes Himself known to me. You see, He's... he's Save me. He has healed me. Whatever it is, I tell my story. And that will be more effective, even though he's an intellectual and I am more a storyteller. I'll be more influential in his life if I'm just the person God has called me to be. Otherwise, it's 
like that lady who tries to cook Italian and shouldn't be cooking Italian, you see. Be who God has made you to be in sharing the Lord. You'll be more influential when, you, when you're just yourself and who God has called you to be and who God has, has formed you to be. Listen, we are going to influence people whether we try to or not. So we might as well be strategic and intentional with the kind of influence we intend to have. And this questionnaire is just one little small way that we can begin be, being strategic and being influential. Again, the three points. Followers of Jesus are called to attract people to him. In other words, followers fish. Start fishing. Start fishing. God has called you to be fishers of men. Point number two, we need the power of the Holy Spirit to be effective influencers for Christ. Followers don't fish alone. Don't try it, you'll fail. So you need the power of the Holy Spirit. And finally, point number three, sharing Christ is personal. In other words, there are a lot of different fish out there. How are we being strategic and intentional about catching fish for Christ? So let me close by giving you four reasons why we can fish with confidence. How many have had experience where they're sharing Christ and they're a little nervous? They're, 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 yeah, I, I'm there every, every time, really, to be honest. You get a little nervous. You, you, you would like to be more confident. Well, confidence comes the more you do it, sure. But there's four reasons why you can be confident. First, God is still in control. How many know that? God is still in control. Why should we fear when we serve a God who is able to position us in the place where we need to be? We need to see these things as divine appointments, that God placed us at this job. God placed that person in our lives, whether it's even a once-in-a-lifetime experience where I just bumped into this person, I'm waiting online at the supermarket, and I see he's struggling, or, or hey, how can I be influential in this person's life even if I never meet them ever again. You see, God has brought that divine. So if God has led me to this person, then God is in control of that situation. Number two, God is just, God is just as active today as he was back then. Don't think he is le any less involved in your life than he was in Peter the Apostle's life. He's just as active today in your life as he was back then. Jesus says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail. He, looked, he said those words looking at Peter. Th think about this. Do you realize that when Jesus said these words, the disciples had no idea what a church was? Church? What, what's a church? I know the synagogue. Jesus used the word church. First time. What's a church? And yet today, 2,000 years later, the church exists all over the world and is still growing Number three, God has invited us to be influencers in his unfolding plan for our generation. He has chosen to build his church through us. Yeah, he has chosen to build his church through each and every one of us here. What are we doing to help build this church? What are we doing to influence this generation? And finally, four, God is responsible for the outcome. God is, I have blown it time and time again, and yet something I said always stuck 
because it was a God thing. You see, it was a God thing. We are called to share the message. God is responsible for the outcome. We share the message and we trust that the Holy Spirit will work and move in the hearts of those we share the gospel of Jesus Christ with. So let's begin being strategic and intentional about influencing the lost world around us. I encourage you to take this questionnaire and see what God would help you to discover about yourself. But you know what? What else can we do? Let's make a list of family and friends that you would like to see come to salvation. Write it down. Put it in your Bible. Put it on your refrigerator. Can we believe God for three souls each this year? You see, we're coming into the new year. You see, okay, well, I'm going to wait till January and set a goal for myself. Well, set a goal for yourself today. Can I reach one person for Christ before the years, before the years end? Can I influence one person for Christ before January 1st? Invite people. Share your story. Befriend those God leads you to. Speak directly and honestly with them. Serve them. Make sense intellectually with them. Whatever your style, be intentional about it. And then pray. Pray that God would lead you to the right person. Pray that you would be sensitive to the Holy Spirit because you never fish alone, which means you need to hear what the Spirit is saying. And pray. When you pray to reach the lost, you know what happens? You become more aware of the opportunities to reach the lost. I think there are more opportunities than we realize each day to, 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 to influence others for Christ, yet we don't see them all. The more we pray to be influencers, the more opportunities we will see and the more opportunities we will get to be influencers. And so let's pray. Lord God, we thank you that as followers, you call us, you call us to be fishers of men, that you you don't ask us to stay, you, you, you equip us and you ask us to become something and someone we could never be without you. And so we thank you for the world around us, Lord God, our family, our friends, the people we have influence with, the people we love and care for. We thank you for the acquaintances that we have beyond our Jerusalem our neighbors, some co-workers, business acquaintances. We thank you, Lord God, for what you're doing around the world and for the missionaries that we support. I pray that we would have more and more opportunities to support those who go around this world. We pray, we pause right now, and we pray for the missionaries in Haiti. We pray, Lord God, that you would deliver them from this situation. They went obeying your call to go and be influencers and make disciples of all nations. They were serving you, becoming who you called them to be. They were fishing for you when this happened. So I pray now your protection upon them. 
And I pray for all our missionaries that we would support them. Lord God, but I pray for opportunities for us to even go somewhere beyond our Jerusalem, somewhere beyond our Judea and Samaria to influence the world around us. But Lord, I pray that it would start right here in our homes, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces. I pray that you would give us at least one name that we can influence before the year's end. One name that you want to bring into your kingdom before the end of the year. Lord, may we go fishing. May the power of the Holy Spirit be upon us. May we be who you've called us to be. I thank you for it, Lord. I thank you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, next week we, hit, we have two more attributes, I think. We're in five, six, uh, no, seven. Five, yeah, two more attributes before we end our Follow the Discipleship series. Wednesday we go talk about this one a little bit more in depth. Go in God's grace, God's peace. Uh, if you're not in a rush, enjoy the fellowship of the body of Christ before you, you head home and enjoy the restful afternoon. God bless everyone. Hello, everyone. This is Pastor James. I hope you enjoyed today's message. My prayer is that you would always experience all that God has for you. New Franklin Assembly exists to advance God's kingdom, to encourage God's people, and to serve our community. If you're in the Chambersburg area, we would love to have you join us for a live service. For more information, please visit our website at www.newfranklinag.org. Thank you. God bless.